0: This is James Lindsay. You are listening to another episode of New Discourses Bullets where I summarize a single topic of woke Marxism uh, in kind of bullet point format so that we can understand it and beat it. And today I'm going to address a very controversial claim that I make a whole bunch of times, which is that woke education or social emotional learning or critical pedagogy actually most broadly is in fact brainwashing or thought reform. This is a fairly controversial topic and if or claim and if it's it's true we really have a lot to do to think about what's going on in education you would i think react very differently to the idea of you sending your child off for 30 plus hours 40 hours almost a week to a school as compared to how you would react to sending your child off for 30 to 40 hours a week to a brainwashing center And critical pedagogy has infected virtually every school. And I want to make the case that critical pedagogy is unambiguously brainwashing. Now, here's a little bit of fun a little fun announcement that I'll elaborate on in the future. I'm actually going to make this case just by reading through three quotations. And these three quotations are embedded in a new book that New Discourses is producing. That will be coming out early in 2024. That book is going to carry the title, The Queering of the American Child. In fact, all three of these quotations come out of chapter six of that book. Um, That book is written by Logan Lansing. I have made contributions and it written an afterword. It's not my book, but uh, you guys should definitely want to start getting excited about that. We will have an Amazon listing for it as soon as possible. And uh, then you'll be able to start looking at getting it. Like I said, we're looking at early 2024, maybe February for a release. We're in the final stages of production now. But I don't want to elaborate on that. I want to talk about critical pedagogy and how it's brainwashing. Here's what I want to say about that. Um, first, I want to introduce what critical pedagogy is to you again, and then kind of take you down a little bit of a trail to deal with some people so that we can then get to a quote, and then that'll start me reading three quotes that I think will unambiguously convince you that critical pedagogy across the board is unambiguously brainwashing. It is thought reform. There is no question about that. Okay, so first, what is critical pedagogy? It is the infusion and combination of critical theory into education theory, and that occurs at all levels. Levels. What do I mean by all levels? What that means is it's the application of critical theory to educational theory itself and the teaching of or practice of critical theory through education. So in kind of both regards, you are infusing education with critical theory. That's critical pedagogy. Where does it come from? Well, Critical Pedagogy gets its name, actually, if I'm not mistaken, from Henry Giroux, who was trying to summarize the method of so-called conscientization, which should be pronounced awokening, uh, presented by um, Paulo Freire, who we spent an abnormally large amount of time on in the podcast. I wrote the book, uh, The Marxification of Education, to explain Paulo Freire's method, and in fact, characterized his method as brainwashing repeatedly throughout that book. Uh, so Henry Giraud becomes his greatest disciple and evangelist and um, combines his methods with certain European theorists, as it were. Paulo Freire was a third worldist and a Marxist in Brazil. He was doing a mixture of primarily classical Marxism and the new third worldist version of post-colonial theory to radicalize peasants in Brazil uh, to want to overthrow their capitalist colonialist society. And he developed that theory, which was eventually taken up because of the work of Giroux in, uh at Harvard and throughout colleges of education in the 1980s in the United States, so that it is recorded by the historian, the Marxist historian of education, Isaac Gottesman, that uh, by 1992, Paulo Freire's influence, in other words, critical pedagogy, had located itself where it is today, which is to say everywhere within education and education schools, again, by 1992. So that's 30-plus years ago now that the education schools have been wholly devoted to Paulo Freire's method of education, which is radicalization posing as education, Marxist and third-worldist post-colonialist. And It was adapted through Henry Giraud to the more American context. It adopted the so-called Western theories uh, or European theorists. That would be the neo-Marxists and the postmodernists. Giraud was a big fan in particular of Marcuse and of Derrida, Jacques Derrida, the postmodernist. He also did rely some on Michel Foucault, the other postmodernist, and he dabbled and dipped into some of the other critical theorists. He was a critical Marxist, and he adapted Paulo Freire's radicalizing form of miseducation uh, to be something that we now call critical pedagogy. Critical pedagogy got developed in particular, and this is where we're going so I can start reading the quotes, by a man who's no longer with us named Joe Kinchelow. Joe Kinchelow was a professor at a Canadian university, I want to say Concordia, but I might have that mistaken. Um, That sounds kind of wrong, I'd have to look him up again. Joe Kinchelow developed the theory of critical pedagogy probably more fully than any single theorist uh, there in in Canada, and he is credited with creating a kind of evolving set of stages to the... uh, to, to what critical pedagogy should be and how it should be implemented and taught and infused into education, one of which is, in fact, and it, it, he, he is often considered one of the coiners of the concept in education, is the decolonization of curriculum and decolonization of education and uh, reading lists and literacy and so on movement. So he picked up where Frady left off. Decolonization is obviously a third-worldist project. We're learning a lot about that very quickly now, and Kinchelow was very involved in that. He picked up off of Giroux and Frady and created, in fact, what is known as critical constructivist epistemology. In other words, he formalized the fusion between critical pedagogy, critical neo Marxism, and postmodernism into critical constructivist epistemology and pedagogy, which, if you look up critical constructivist epistemology, uh, you will actually find it attached to his name. Now, critical constructivist epistemology is a great, big, fancy, multi-syllable term for what Jordan Peterson called postmodern neo-Marxism. The constructivist part is postmodernist and linguistic, and the uh, critical part is critical theory. So it is the fusion of critical theory and postmodernism. In other words, critical constructivist epistemology is a great, big, long, multi-syllable term that means woke. And it was incubated, formulated, and delivered through critical pedagogy in education in particular. Now we know who Joe Kinchelow is. It's a name I haven't brought up a ton of times. We know what critical pedagogy is. Um, it is a radicalization program posing as education without getting into the nitty gritties. And it's concerned, uh, in the words of Alison Bailey, I'm not going to quote her, I'll paraphrase from her paper on tracking uh, what she called, um, what did she call it? Uh, Privilege-preserving epistemic pushback in, in philosophy classrooms. She wrote a paper in 2017 in Hypatia about that, and she says explicitly there that critical thinking is based on a set of traditions rooted in what he she calls epistemic adequacy—that is, knowing what you're talking about, getting correct answers, hunting down the most uh, the, the most accurate and and Um, verifiable relationship to the truth and reality that you can. That's critical thinking. And she contrasts that against critical pedagogy, which she says is about analyzing power dynamics. So education is designed not to teach people how to attain epistemic adequacy. In other words, knowing what they're talking about, gaining competence, but instead it is to gain competence in something else entirely, which is to analyze power relations. She said it's rooted in the neo-Marxism of the Frankfurt School explicitly in the relevant paragraph of that paper. So there's no ambiguity that it's critical Marxism applied to education. That's critical pedagogy in uh, definition from the people who are critical pedagogues. Joe Kinchelow is one of those. So reading The quote uh, that Logan Lansing has put in here in chapter six from Kinchelow, this is actually from his book, Knowledge and Critical Pedagogy, an introduction from 2008. Here's a paragraph, the generative theme. So let me remind you before I read this. For Paulo Freire, the way that critical pedagogy works is that you create a generative theme, which is supposed to engage the students to want to learn. And in reality, what it does is it generates the opportunity to have radicalizing political discussions. And there are a lot of ingredients that go into having a radicalizing political discussion. But what are some generative themes? Well, one example is if you remember the Drag Queen Story Hour paper I read in Groomer Schools, in the Groomer Schools podcast, I think it's Groomer Schools 4, you will recall that the authors of that paper explicitly said that the presence and performance of the drag queen is a generative learning opportunity. So It generates the shock, the awe, the drama, the fun, the glitter, the sparkles, the noise, the lights, whatever it is, generates conversations about queer theory. That's a generative theme. You've heard repeatedly the example that I've given. Johnny is riding in the car with his mom and dad on the way to the amusement park. They have 50 miles to to go to the amusement park and have traveled 30 miles already. How much further do they have to go? So there's a second grade mathematics word problem that gets transformed into a discussion on all kinds of politics through the generative themes in the first sentence. Those generative themes are amusement park, mom and dad, and car. As amusement park, the teacher is instructed to ask, hey kids, who's ever been to an amusement park? Some kids raise their hand, some kids don't. Now you have a difference. You switch from talking about the mathematics to talking about the difference. Oh, that's not fair. How come some of you have and some haven't? What are some reasons why some kids get to go and other kids don't? Amusement park was a generative theme. It generated the opportunity to have this conversation instead, and it generates the opportunity for some kid to say, not everybody can afford it, my parents won't let me go, blah, blah, blah. It could have been car for an environmental discussion, and it could have been mom and dad for a feminism or queer theory discussion. And you can see all kinds of generative opportunities, and critical pedagogy is designed to create as many generative opportunities in the classroom as possible to do radicalizing political conversations on Marxist terms with kids. So that's what Joe Kinchelow is talking about. He says the generative theme is a topic taken from students' knowledge of their own lived experiences that is compelling and controversial enough to elicit their excitement and commitment. See, there are a lot of ingredients that go into a generative theme. It's not just some topic that they might be interested in. It's got to be engaging, and that means emotionally engaging because the process is Thought reform, it's brainwashing. You have to tap into their emotional centers during the learning opportunity or their social circumstances or their psychological profile during the learning opportunity. So he says it's a topic taken from students' knowledge of their own lived experiences. So one, it has to be relevant to the life that they live already, something they're familiar with, comfortable with, something that relates to them, that touches them personally AKA something that might elicit their narcissism, something that makes them feel self centered and important, something that's based on raising their self esteem, something that gets them excited. That's a key ingredient. That's what Paulo Freire said is that the learner has to tip it, uh, tap into his concrete experiences, which he is the true expert of. That's why children are the experts leading the classroom because the teachers have to get the generative theme. What Paulo Freire said is that the Teachers, as facilitators, will extract from the learners the generative theme and then facilitate them through a process of codification, problematization, and decodification, which is the radicalizing process to get them to see it through the Marxist interpretation. But again, part one of a generative theme is it must be knowledge of their own lived experiences that is compelling and controversial. So it has to be exciting, but it also has to have the ability to create difference. There has to be controversy. And it has to be compelling and controversial enough to elicit their excitement and commitment. So you have to get their emotions going. You have to get them to commit to one side or the other of the division that the controversy creates intrinsically divisive. This is the intrinsic situation to create a classroom struggle session that actually facilitates the brainwashing in a social and emotional environment because social emotional learning is brainwashing. He goes on to explain such themes are saturated with affect, emotion, and meaning. So generative themes can't just be ideas that the kids might find interesting, like every little boy thinks dinosaurs are cool for some reason for a phase, like no one knows why, but everybody likes dinosaurs for a while. A lot of little girls even like dinosaurs. Everybody likes dinosaurs. But they don't have affect, emotion, and meaning tapped into them. It can't be that. It has to be something compelling and controversial from their own lived experience that affects their emotions. Affect is another word for emotional content. So it has to be saturated, he says, to be a generative theme, with affect, emotion, and meaning because they engage the fears, anxieties, hopes, and dreams of both students and and their teachers. See? So like the amusement park has a generative theme. Kids are afraid that they're being left out, that they're missing out. So it taps into their fears that there's an unfairness going on, their anxieties that the world that they live in is not fair for them, which can easily be imported into them. It also talks about their hopes and dreams of getting to go have fun at an amusement park. That's a compelling and controversial topic that elicits their excitement, and their commitment, saturated with affect and emotion and meaning. That's why it's a generative theme. And it says here that generative generative themes are saturated with affect, emotion, and meaning because they engage the fears, anxieties, hopes, and dreams of both students and their teachers. So now they're all working together in this emotional project of excitement and controversy and commitment. Generative themes, Kinchelow tells us, arise at the point where the personal lives of students intersect with the larger society and the globalized world. So they also have to have meaning, not just personal narcissistic meaning, but that has some kind of social meaning, some broader social meaning, maybe out to the point of the global citizen, which is the big push all of this is headed toward. And that is what a generative theme is. And that is how Critical pedagogy works is to use that. Uh, and so you can see that it sets the stage for brainwashing. But it gets even more ex- uh, explicit if we read from another researcher, queer uh, education researcher named Kevin Kumashiro. And so in a paper titled Against Repetition, Addressing Resistance to Anti-Oppressive Change in the Practice of Learning, Teaching, Supervising, and Researching, Kevin Kermashiro in 2002 wrote the following, Repeating what is already learned can be comforting and therefore desirable. Students learning things that question their knowledge and identities can be emotionally upsetting. For example, suppose students think society is meritocratic, but learn that it is racist. (gasps) oh my god, whoa, I thought it was fair, but it's not, or think that they themselves are not contributing to homophobia, but learn that they in fact, uh, but learn in fact that they are. Oh my god, I didn't think I was a bad person, but I am. See how it's compelling, controversial, and emotionally engaging? In such situations, Kumashiro tells us, students learn that the ways they think and act are not only limited, but also oppressive. Oh my gosh, I'm what? The world is filled with oppression that I might be contributing to or a victim of? Learning about oppression and about the ways they often unknowingly comply with oppression can lead students to feel paralyzed with anger, sadness, anxiety, and guilt. It can lead to a form of emotional crisis. So, what he's saying is critical pedagogy, through its uh, exploitation of and facilitation of generative themes, leads children to form identity and emotional crises. It fills them with anger, sadness, anxiety, and guilt. So quickly, you need more social-emotional learning. You need more critical pedagogy to help them tap into and deal with those feelings. That is the objective. And remember, the goal is to make sure they use this correctly. The goal isn't just to get them mad. As Kumashiro says, That the, the point of pushing children into a personal crisis or an identity crisis a necessary component because it quote spurs students to work for positive social change in other words it makes them into activists okay so that's what 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 critical pedagogy is actually about once in crisis he goes on to tell us later in the same piece once in crisis a student can go in many directions some that may lead to anti-oppressive change others that may lead to more entrenched resistance Uh uh-oh That's why you have to have a teacher as facilitator. The teacher has to be a facilitator because otherwise you might create emotional states that cause a reaction. Rather than letting kids grow up normal, you put them basically into the choice between communism and reactionary fascism. Oh no, what are you gonna do? Well, you could just not brainwash the students, but no, their plan is to make sure that the teachers facilitate it into the right direction. Anti-oppressive change is the direction they want. So the facilitator is there to brainwash the children to interpret these emotionally arousing circumstances, the cognitive dissonance, the emotional dissonance, the anxiety, the depression, the fear, all of the different hopes and dreams that they're having tapped into by the emotionally manipulative brainwashing program and make sure it goes into a correct form of thought. In other words, it's thought reform which is going to be anti-oppressive change, or as Robin D'Angelo had it, a lifelong commitment to an ongoing process of self-reflection, self-critique, and social activism. Kumashiro goes on to say, Therefore, educators have a responsibility not only to draw students into a possible crisis. Let me just read that again in case you went to sleep. Educators have a responsibility not only to draw students into a possible crisis— One more time. Educators have a responsibility to draw students into a possible crisis. So the point of critical pedagogy is to drag children into crisis so that you can create the emotional and social and psychological arousal states and conditions through which you can do thought reform because he says not only to draw them into personal crisis, but also to structure experiences that can help them learn to work through their crises productively. In other words, they are going to learn the skills of social-emotional learning, like self-awareness, like being aware that you as a boy might actually be a girl inside, or that there's all these racial oppressions all over the place and your role in participating in those or or siding with oppression or whatever else, or being a victim of them, and self-management, which means living and managing yourself in that world, or responsible decision-making, which means making decisions responsible to the set of power dynamics and climate change, or relationship skills, which are predicated off of understanding all of these complicated social dynamics in the new system that has a new unity on a new basis, And finally, social awareness, which tells you how you're supposed to fit in with the whole thing. This is critical pedagogy, and this is not education. This is not education. This is thought reform. This is systematized brainwashing. It is absolutely not education. So critical pedagogy, which is Literally, the basis of almost all education in North America today and in other parts of the West and around the world, because I've heard at the ARC conference from a Kenyan that it's happening in Kenya too, is a systematic brainwashing program being delivered through education globally, but certainly nationally. There is no excuse whatsoever, none, for us to be continuing critical pedagogy anywhere any institution that implements it needs to either get it out or be shut down. Any institution that teaches it cannot be accredited or a pathway, a viable pathway to teacher licensure. That means every single college of education in North America is in violation. Every single one. I just remembered. No. Kinchelo was at McGill, not at Concordia, just for uh, whatever that's worth. So, That's a loose end tied up, total brain disjunction. The point is, we have to get rid of critical pedagogy. There's no more beating around the bush. We have to start being honest about it. The case is extremely easy to make. It's extremely straightforward to make. It is extremely easy to make people understand if we uh, get clear about it and actually quote these people at their own word. It is extremely easy to communicate to people that critical pedagogy is brainwashing. It is not education. It has no place in North American society, has no place in North American schools, has no place in colleges of education. Anything that takes it up should not be accredited, should not be a pathway to licensure, and it needs to be purged completely. It is the source, like I said, in in, uh, the Marxification of education, it is the source of the theft of education, and it needs to end.